Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. It's been some week, and I've just had to put together what I could in the available time. So you'll forgive me if I just simply reflect on where we are just now. At a great time of uncertainty in our church, many of our Church of Scotland traditions are being discussed, challenged, maybe even having to change. And so I found myself recently asking myself the question, what did Jesus say about the church, about the kirk? So I sat down, somehow found the time this week to read all four Gospels again. And that was wonderful. It's amazing how you can be busy doing the church, but you forget Jesus you forget how it all started. And to read the Gospels again was wonderful because they're all about Jesus. They are full of Jesus. Of course, mostly about Easter, leading up to Holy Week, His death and then resurrection, but also His teaching, the Beatitudes, His parables, I love those, His conversations with disciples, especially in the upper room, his conversations with various people, Nicodemus, Bartimaeus, Mary, just wonderful. And in the midst of everything this week, that's helped me focus on Jesus, and that's been good. But it didn't help me answer my question. What did Jesus say about the church? And when we talk about the church, of course, most of us think of this building. I'm going to church this morning. We think of this lovely building. But I couldn't find anything about church buildings in the Gospels. Yes, they refer to the temple, which Jesus said wouldn't last, and nor did it, uh, about the synagogues where amazing things happened, but this is a Christian church. But yes, I do get it. The church really is people. We could have had, um, maybe we would have had, you are the church, I am the church, we are the church together, and so on. The church is the people of God. And there's plenty in the Gospels about being the church, or as Neil would say, being fully devoted disciples or followers of Jesus. And that's a good strapline for Stonelaw Church. But what about the church? The church as people going forward. Well, of course, we're all familiar with the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions the disciples to go into all the world. And when I read that, uh, I, I was, well, obviously we're all familiar with that, but I turned also to the conclusion of Luke's gospel, where the same great commission, we call it, 
is shared. Let me read a few verses as we go through this uh, today. So, it's Luke 24 at the very end, verse 46. And Jesus said, Thus it's written, the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And see, I'm sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And we've just had Pentecost when Jesus' promise and instruction was fulfilled, when the Holy Spirit came, and we often call that the birth of the church. And from that, of course, we have the New Testament. The church, though, in the New Testament was eh, quite a bit different from our Church of Scotland. New Testament, Roman times. We are going into the, we are the, into the 21st century. The New Testament church often met for worship, often in believers' homes, no church buildings as such. Sometimes in temples and sanctuaries, yes, but very quickly they were thrown out there. No buildings. I see Stuart beaming with joy. No church buildings, no fabric. It's interesting that the local church, actually we should stop using the word church because some of you will still think of the building. Local believers, local believers did appoint leaders, uh, but the human structure is unclear. It's, they even use three different words for these leaders, perhaps referring to their roles or their leadership styles. It's not clear. So, there wasn't just one particular name even given to these, let's use the word, leader. But their qualities of these leaders, oh, that was very clear. The name wasn't so fussed, the structure was unclear, but these leaders had qualities. And to qualify to be a leader, you had to meet this quite strict criteria. They had to be fully devoted disciples of Jesus. I suppose if the right people are in charge, it doesn't matter so much about the structure or the names and titles, I suppose. And yet these congregations from all over the New Testament world were linked. They did a lot of things themselves, but they were linked together. And at times, as we saw previously in Acts chapter 15, they linked back to the mother church, if you like, in Jerusalem on matters of doctrine, on matters of poor relief, and I'm sure other matters also. But how did these believers, small groups of new Christians, how did they know what to do? How did that work? I'm not sure, I know, which I found intriguing. I've been a Christian for so long, session clerk and all the rest of it, and I honestly wasn't sure of my own answer to my own question. They clearly met together weekly, regularly, as best as they could, in what we call, we would call them house groups, in house churches, 
and sometimes they would meet together in Jerusalem, as we saw in Acts chapter 15. But, but why did that work? And it did. Why does that work in other parts of the world today where the church is growing? Well, that's a good question. And asking a good question is important to finding good answers. Why does that work? So, I can have explored a bit further what I read from James. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously, and it will be given to you. Does that phrase sound familiar? And it will be given to you. Perhaps you've got a feeling that you've heard Jesus say something like that before. And if you think so, you're right, because in Luke chapter 11, in Luke chapter 11, at verse 9, Jesus is after the parable of the friend at midnight, says, So I say to you, disciples, followers of Jesus, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And then... How much will more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? What a promise. And we often turn to this passage, this section in Luke's Gospel and other Gospel stories, when we are speaking about prayer. It's a wonderful promise to encourage us to pray. That's how the New Testament church thrives. That's what the New Testament church relied upon, prayer. That's what the New Testament church believed, Jesus' promise. And that's how the church still grows today, through prayer. Now, the evening before Jesus' first Easter, Jesus was with His disciples John records this in considerable detail, and I was intrigued at a couple of verses that I'd forgotten about, I'll be honest. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus here is speaking about the future for the disciples, about Him not being with them, and them having to carry the work of establishing the church going forward. It was a lot for the disciples to take in. Not least that Jesus was telling them what was about to happen the next day, the first Easter. But in the midst of that passage in John's Gospel, they were quite familiar with are these intriguing words. John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them just now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own, 
but will speak whatever he hears, and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, says Jesus, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Isn't that intriguing? Now, any of us that are teachers will recognize what Jesus is saying. I came to this point with my own uh, English uh, student uh, at St. Rollocks the other day. It was obvious when we were doing future tenses and past tenses, and I was remembering things, and she was learning things. There came a point in time when she'd had enough, and it was time for me to stop teaching her, I call it, teaching her English with a Glasgow accent. You just know sometimes when people have had enough, they can't bear any more, you need to stop and think of some other activities. There comes a point in time for all of us when we've had enough, and I just wish you'd stop talking now, please, before I say something that I'll regret. We've been there, haven't we? Jesus recognized it with the disciples. They had enough, there was much more, and Jesus speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit coming to them, we've just had Pentecost, coming to them and teaching for them what they would then need to know. But they didn't need it the night before Jesus went to the cross. So Jesus stopped like every good teacher should. Isn't it amazing that that's hidden there and I'd forgotten all about it? Maybe that answers the question that I've been wrestling with over these last, well, few months at least now. Oh, by the way, it also helps us distinguish good ideas from God's ideas. When we're talking of change, there will be lots of people coming up with ideas. How would we distinguish God's voice leading us forward from other things that might or might not work? Well, it's what Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, says Jesus. I suppose it's stating the obvious that good ideas from God will include Jesus going forward. It's stating the obvious, I'd have thought, but Maybe we don't want to record this bit, but I was at a church conference, a very important church conference, I was told, for elders. There were elders there from all over the UK, especially Scotland, and the high and the mighty were there to address us about the way forward and all these changes that were coming. And as I listened with interest to lots of good ideas, I only once heard Jesus' name mentioned in passing. It was a full-day conference, and Jesus was mentioned once. I wasn't impressed. Oh, I was impressed with the CV of the speakers and those who had been gathered to address us. I wasn't impressed with the content. For me, when the Holy Spirit comes and guides us and speaks to us and leads us forward, He will glorify Jesus 
That's God's Word. That's Jesus' promise to us. And anything else is just noise, even though it's interesting, and we might get some bits and pieces out of it. It'll help us to distinguish the true voice of God leading us forward from all the other ideas that are around just now. So be careful of that, fellow believers. Look for the voices that glorify Jesus and put Jesus at the heart of everything we're doing. So, to bring things to a conclusion, and maybe some practical things for us to do and consider doing, what should we do? I think we take James at his word. If we are lacking wisdom and don't quite know the best way forward just now, with lots of good ideas, ask God. Seek wisdom. It's not hard to do. It's not a matter of IQ. It's a matter of being willing to seek God's help. I love Proverbs, as you know. Proverbs is a book in the Bible for good reason. We need practical wisdom. And I love the little picture we have that Morag read so nicely in chapter 2. It's one that I can, can see, I remember. Um, I, one of my earliest memories is with me and my grandpa. Now, he died before I went to school, but that memory is stuck there, standing at the back of the tenement where we lived. Grandpa had me out for some reason. It was dark, and I looked up at the sky. I must have said something like, Grandpa, look at all those stars. He said, God made those, David, and God made you. And I'm just a wee chap like this. I hadn't a clue what he was talking about. But he was a lovely Christian man, and that stuck. Have we been with our children and had heart-to-heart -heart conversations? Have we been with our grandchildren and done the same. How dear they are to us. Have we been with perhaps a particular Sunday school teacher or what an impression they've made or even a school teacher perhaps or someone else? In Proverbs 2, I think, and others may disagree and that's fine, that we have David and Solomon. I think at a human level that's what's happening here my child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, if making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, seeking it like silver, like hidden treasure, remember Jesus' parable? Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge, understanding, and store up sound wisdom for the upright. That's, I think, the beginning of this passage. For all we can spiritualize it, and I'm okay if you want to do that, and think of our heavenly Father speaking with us. But I think it has its roots in that simple conversation between a father and a son. And the father saying, for 
whatever you do, be wise. Seek wisdom from God, and everything else will fall into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Is that where Jesus got it from? I don't know. But the Lord does give wisdom, and it's a particular word. It's often used in terms of a skill. It's not just head knowledge that only clever people can aspire to and obtain. No, this wisdom is very, very practical and often talks about someone being skillful in a practical way with their hands. It's practical wisdom. And we need that in life, and we need that in the church today, that's for sure, to answer these big questions that lie ahead. But it's a spiritual matter, verse 10. If you do seek it, then wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Hmm. I suppose if you're a secular person, then that's a difficult verse because you don't believe in these things. Maybe that's why wisdom is so lacking in some sectors of society today. But for us who believe in a heart for God, who believe we have a soul, who believe we can seek God in prayer, we can take this promise. Wisdom will come into your heart knowledge of God's will will be in your soul. He does give to those who seek, as Jesus Himself said to the disciples. And remember, Jesus would want us to have His peace. My peace I give you, not as the world peace. So, do not be afraid. Jesus is God's wisdom incarnate, as Corinthians teaches us. So, let's do, in conclusion, what Jesus Himself did, what Jesus Himself taught, what the Bible teaches, and what the disciples in the early church did, what the church has always done. Let's pray and ask God for His help and His wisdom. Let's commit our way to the Lord. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Commit your way to the Lord, and he, your plans will be established. There's many texts. It's strange, but about this time, um, we were pulling together some documents, which you'll see in as soon as we're finished, and, and Presbytery have given us some feedback on them, as Neil said uh, yesterday. And, and part of it is about the way ahead. I'd able to go to one of them, and so to help contribute, um, there was a bit, a wee paragraph that says, the way ahead. And I thought, well, that's nearly empty. I'll contribute something to the next meeting. And I just wrote together just five, five little sentences which have been adopted. Um, the first sentence simply says, as our congregations face unprecedented change, we agree to do so prayerfully. 
looking to Jesus. And that's really all I've got to say to you this morning. Amen.